we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. We're back! The show where we examine the conspiracy hidden behind the facade, which is, why do movies have so much sex and violence? Yeah. Is it too much? You know, honestly, I don't question it. I just you know, take it completely at face you value. accept it. All the sex, all this violence, it just, it makes sense to me. I don't think it really needs to, I don't think we need to go deeper than that. You're brainwashed! Am I? Oh, I don't know. You know why you're brainwashed? Why? Because we're watching They Live oh, yes. tonight. We are. They Live is a 1988 American science fiction action horror film written and directed by Mr. John Carpenter, mm -hmm. the legend. Mm -hmm. It's based on a 1963 short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, and it stars Roddy Piper, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Keith David, and Meg Foster. This movie follows an unnamed drifter who discovers special sunglasses where he can gain the ability to see that the ruling class are actually aliens concealing their appearance and manipulating people to spend money, breed, and accept the status quo with subliminal messages in mass media. So basically this movie has no bearing whatsoever with current society at all. At all! Yeah, yeah, no, I mean... Uh... Yeah, it, so it sounds like what we're in for is for a, 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 a carefree romp that's completely <laughs> escapist and yep. and doesn't really have anything to teach me. No deeper messages. Me. No, no, nothing no like social that. commentary. No, no, I, I I don't go in for that sort of thing. You know, it's just it's just too much. Too have you ever route. seen this movie? Um, I actually have. Oh, uh, once. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this is a rare thing for this podcast. <laughs> we're certainly finding. Um, but uh, yes, I uh, actually have seen this one. It was probably it was like a fair while ago mm. so um you know it's not fresh mm -hmm. in my memory but um but i remembered really liking it uh when i did it it was actually at bam uh they were doing a oh. john they were doing a john carpenter series and, oh nice um and uh i told a, a film friend of mine who uh, who was studying film at school at the same time i was there with him i was like hey this john carpenter thing's happening he's like oh ned we're going to see they live and i was like okay i guess we are and so we did yeah they live is 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 pretty awesome. I mean, I know we, ha we haven't even watched it yet, but uh, I just gotta say, John Carpenter is one of my favorite filmmakers. I feel like John Carpenter is, most of his movies were critically reviled box office failures when they first came out. Yeah, I, did, I don't think I realized that. <laughs> and then now, many years later, people are like, oh wait, that movie was actually really good, and they've become cult favorites. He's like, he's like the master of the B-movie. He does so much with so little. And this movie was like that when it first came out. It was uh, it was a mild success. It wasn't an outright failure, but it was completely panned by critics who criticized everything about it: the acting, the special effects, the, uh, uh, the, the even the social commentary was fair game for them. They didn't like it at all. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, I definitely remember the campiness. 
so, and, uh, and now I'm many excited. years later, people are like, wait a minute, this is actually a really good movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm so, excited to get it. I'm excited it. to watch it too. We're going to watch They Live, and it's available to stream if you guys at home want to watch it with us. Uh, it's available on Stars or through the Stars add on on Amazon. It's also available on DirecTV. If you're a DirecTV subscriber, you can watch it on that app. Um, if you don't have Stars or DirecTV, you can still rent it. It's on demand in many number of locations. And uh, I mean, rent the movie. It's a great movie. You'll, you'll have a blast. Uh, so we highly recommend it. We're going to watch this movie, take a break right now, and we're going to come back and we're going to play some trivia, and then we're going to discuss the film. So y'all at home do the same. Uh, are you ready to watch They Live, Ned? Oh, more than ready. All right, boys and girls, we're going to watch They Live, and we'll see you on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. We are back. We still live. Yeah, we still are alive. Yeah. And we just watched They Live. Indeed. First reactions. Um, it was fun. Uh, you know, it's weird because I know that the movie has a lot of goofy elements to it. Yeah. But at the same time, I guess, I don't know, it, it was kind of a little bit unexpected how how tongue-in-cheek the movie really is. Right, um, yeah. It uh, is certainly not subtle at all. No. Um, it's, it's pretty much as <laughs> there's very little subtext at any point in the movie. Um, Keeps hammering you on the head with it. Yeah, it, 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 it has very specific, very big ideas, yeah. and it blatantly states those ideas to you, the viewer. And... Um, so uh, I, I think what what I kind of uh, I, it'll be interesting to see how how as we discuss it more um, how how the movie's kind of latter half helps service some of the ideas that are established in the first half because mm-hmm. I think that like there the movie does start very poignantly I think in terms right. of just kind of like. You know, certainly not being subtle about it, but certainly it, it definitely is coming from this place of like, you know, that there is really something wrong with society at large. Yeah. And um, and and it really has like a dire impact on most of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that that's that's there's yeah, there's something kind of great about being a sort of monster horror alien sci-fi flick that's specifically trying to speak to like this very large idea that there is something very rotten at the core of society um and you mentioned while we were watching it uh, the, the, the there's a similarity between this one and another film we saw recently yeah. for the podcast called society exactly yeah <laughs> definitely um but but it but i i what i like about this though is that it is coming at it more from the perspective of an everyman because i think you know society the movie society right. um very much lives in like the whole beverly hills upper class it was world. about the ruling and, class and, and yeah it and was this about, is about an outsider exactly yeah um so 
So yeah, I think um, I think as the as the movie kind of picks up pace and it, and it, and it gets pretty actiony pretty early. Yeah, um, it's a short movie. It's only ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's a short movie. Um, and and it, and it hit and when it hits the ground running, it, it really just kind of yeah. doesn't stop. Um, I think more of those more of those ideas about the the forces at work in society and how they impact everybody start to go away more in favor of the okay now we're gonna see how the heroes then you know stick it to the man mm-hmm. and whatnot so um uh, but that's definitely something that I think will uh will merit further discussion yeah we'll we'll talk about more in depth about uh, a lot of different things that I'm um, excited to touch upon um, yeah. before we get into the trivia I do have to mention that Roddy Piper's character in this movie he never has a name he's never given a name yeah that was something movie. I was gonna ask about but but yeah he's just uh, what the wanderer or like what's well it? he's referred to as Nada in the credits uh, oh, okay. or, or John Nada yeah um, but uh, so Nada in, is means nothing in Spanish yeah um, and it's kind of interesting to me, like, I feel like, you know, John Carpenter is always known for, like, all, all of his movies have this great mix of different genres in them. Yeah. And I think that this this movie, even though it is a sci-fi horror, it definitely has a great mix of genre in it. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the films or the film genres that John Carpenter continually comes back to in all of his films, I think it's like his major through line, if I were to pick one, is the Western film structure. Um, and I mean, the, I guess we can talk more about that when you watch, when you're more familiar with John Carpenter themes, because I'll probably bring it up again. But I yeah. really find it interesting that... Like in like this movie definitely follows a Western template. It has a man with no name who comes into town and he yeah. befriends like the, these people who need help, and there are these antagonists surrounding like the the, the people who are desperately in need of help, and yeah. and this man with no name kind of stumbles upon you know how to help him out, and and he uses like he sacrifices his life in the end to to do it um it's a very western way of approaching film and i and i dig that a lot about carpenter's work i like that i like that that he has that because it gives his films like even though this is like an offbeat kind of idea it gives his films like a classic quality to them like i feel like watching this movie it's like yeah this movie will will stand the test of time because the basic structure of the story is simple and universal. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying with like the you know yeah there there is definitely a, a flavor of western to it in right. terms of and um, even the soundtrack. Yeah, I was gonna say the soundtrack definitely gives it that feel, which was co-written by of, John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, definitely yeah with like that kind of you know guitar riff that keeps coming back. It's a very yeah it's a very kind of uh, you in know sort of down down in the down in the you know down in the dirt kind of western right. feel to it and um and uh definitely yeah John Nada being this kind of uh this kind of wandering guy and also i think like you know sort of this uh you know sense of disillusionment and yeah. and kind of cuz you know he starts kind of as a simple person who believes in america but obviously the whole journey of the film is his disillusionment and then his willingness right. to kind of take up arms and yeah. and 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 fight the good fight mm-hmm. um in in the face of you know of of his understanding of himself 
and and his role in society. Kind What's of more American than that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely hear that. Um, yeah. Definitely. All right, you ready to play some trivia? Yep. Let's yeah. play some. They live trivia. Mm-hmm. The grand prize is, of course, as always, bragging rights. Yes. And yes. as this always works out, we're gonna have five questions and a bonus. The questions will go in order from least difficult to most difficult. And then the uh, the five questions will basically uh, focus on things that are actually a part of the movie. And then the bonus question, as it often does, will stray from the world mm-hmm. of the film. All right, so you ready for question number one? Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Okay, starting you nice and easy here. Mm-hmm. Where does, I'm just going to refer to him as John Nada or yeah, Na, or fine, Nada from here on. That works. Where does Nada first notice the aliens? He first notices the aliens. Well, I guess uh, he first notices the aliens on the. Wait, it's on the. Oh wait, it's it's when he's at the newspaper stand and he sees uh, he sees one of the aliens buying a magazine. Correct, the newsstand. Yeah. And that, that's a great scene when he's discovering all the subliminal messages. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the the look of the 1950s stuff in or uh, the black and white stuff in the in this movie, which to me looks like it's homaging 1950s sci-fi films. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. It's it's kind of uh, I, I liked the choice to kind of have black and white be right. the be the indicator that we're now seeing through the sunglasses. Um, I think uh, it's, it definitely makes for just, for, for just nice, clean visual. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and also because I think uh, one of the things that, that it helps kind of sell for me is this idea that like all of the, all of the media that we're surrounded with is, is all very like bright and overstimulating right. and colorful yeah. and, and it's all meant to distract you and and that that's the idea behind the what, actual what the message is stark exactly right. yeah yeah it's yeah yeah what's what's behind it is all very homogenous yeah. and and all very much leading to the same thing but like it's 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 hidden under all of this like appealing color yeah. that, that almost that almost kind of overwhelms you and yeah way. it does um, it yeah. does <laughs> all right you did well with that one Easy peasy. Here comes question number two. Mm -hmm. Um, What does Gilbert ask Nada if he can fix when they when he gets to the shantytown? Uh ooh ooh. It's uh ooh. It was uh, the showers, right? Correct. The showers. They collapsed, right? What's that? What he said? said Yeah, one of the walls in the shower stuff collapsed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now it was really interesting about that whole shantytown uh, is that Carpenter actually hired real homeless people yeah. to be in that scene. Now, they weren't all homeless. There were obviously some actors in there, but he hired a lot of homeless people into the production um, and he gave them food as well as paychecks yeah. for being in in the scene, uh, which Piper, uh, Roddy Piper, who plays John Nada, remembers that that was a pretty classy thing to do. Yeah. Now, Piper, he talks about how it was easy for him to be to kind of get into character of being homeless because he had experienced homelessness in his life, yeah. um, especially as a young man. 
and the scene where the police attack and destroy the homeless encampment was particularly difficult for him to shoot because it reminded him of similar events that he witnessed in his really? life. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, there it, it was interesting like yeah, like watching that whole raid on the shanty town. I think um yeah, it was it yeah, it was it was it was a pretty long sequence and and mm-hmm. like yeah there was something about it that that felt pretty like you know like oh this isn't this isn't that far removed from right. like what one might actually see I mean in it real is kind of scary from, and I yeah. I I feel kind of feel like John Carpenter he has a very dark sense of humor so like you were saying that you, you he really does tap into the the tongue in cheek element a lot in this movie but it's like almost masking how horrendous, how truly horrendous what we're watching is. Well, yeah, that's the thing, is that I think, yeah, I, I feel like my my vague recollections of the film before watching it was that it was, like, kind of a darker film. Right. And, and there certainly are a lot of dark things, and I think, like, the way it starts is actually, like, pretty dark and pretty mm-hmm. grounded and pretty serious. Um, but it's not really until... Um, it's really not until he does kind of wake up and we actually see the aliens in the right. flesh. Like, pretty much shortly after that, like, all of the darkness does kind of take a backseat in favor of, like, turning it action. into a big yeah. action chase and and um, <laughs> and and John not approves quite unflappable. Right. And He's very, the John Wayne character. Yeah, yeah. He... he, he <laughs> He has no problem throwing the quips and insults yeah. around as soon as he's faced with this, like, you know, earth-shattering truth. It's, so, it's, like, it's interesting because John Carpenter initially wanted Kurt Russell, who has been in a few John Carpenter movies, yeah. um, Escape from New York, uh, Big Trouble Little China, The Thing, and Kurt Russell in John Carpenter movies doesn't really play Kurt Russell. Yeah. Kurt Russell plays... John Wayne in John Carpenter movies. Okay, and like I said, it just he just keeps going back to those Western tropes. Yeah, and and Kurt Russell does a very good John Wayne imitation, but it's funny that in this movie, so he couldn't get Kurt Russell, he ended up going with Roddy Piper because John Carpenter was a big fan of wrestling, so he was like, oh yeah, let's get Roddy Piper in here. Yeah, but uh, but you can tell that that this kind of role was tailor made for that. Kurt Russell type, yeah. you know. Was was Roddy? Do you happen to know was Roddy Piper like still doing wrestling at the time that this movie? Yeah, I believe came he was out? because like uh, yeah. the people back in the wrestling world made fun of him um, because there's like scenes where he takes off his shirt, you know, and so they were making fun of him, saying like that that they had uh, changed his body with computer effects. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> and and, Roddy, and Piper was like, no, no, that's actually my body. <laughs> yeah, <I hate> <laughs> brilliant, fucking brilliant. So, and Vince McMahon, uh, if, uh, I remember correctly, he wasn't very happy that Roddy was in the movie. He didn't want Roddy to be in the movie. Yeah. he thought it would. I don't. He's very controlling about that whole thing. He's part of society. Well, well, <laughs> I, I was curious about that, and yeah, I think part of that is because I know that there's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of like brand control over, you know each wrestler's identity and their character right. and stuff like that. So um, I was, I was kind of curious about that. Usually, usually it seems like when when wrestlers kind of go into movies, it usually seems to be kind of like a post-career mm-hmm. thing. Like, And this was like one of the big, the first big crossovers from wrestling into film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- 
thanks to Mr. Piper, we have Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You might say. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we yeah can't can't help but thank him for that. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I will say also that I I am not uh, I, I am not very up on my wrestling lore and history at all. So uh, yeah, there's I mean I low of like Wayne the Rock Johnson and uh, Dwayne the Rock Dwayne not, not Wayne, Wayne. <laughs> like I said like I said okay let's do the next question now question number three okay before okay. the wrestling fans crucify us seriously um <laughs> what's the first commercial that's shown on the television in the shantytown what is it selling Oh, it's uh, it's selling the nail, the nail press thing. on nails, the press on nails. <laughs> the the image of her typing with them yeah. on a typewriter, long pointy nails. That, that that just yeah, that made my skin. Crawl Those kind of like bit. have a made a comeback. I see a lot of people wearing long pointy press on yeah. nails now. Yeah. I, I haven't noticed. I, haven't I don't noticed. know what the appeal is. Like honestly, I'm like, why would you? Is that a comfortable? Yeah. I certainly. I, I couldn't imagine typing with them. Yeah. I feel like that would hurt. What or can like you do? it would just like yeah, be like nails on a chalkboard kind of. Right. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the the commercials are pretty funny. The, those first couple of commercials. Um, yeah. Again, not subtle at not all. Subtle they're, at all. They are like, yeah, they are very much commercials to the power of commercials <laughs> like <laughs> which kind of like a, you know it's, there's a lot in this movie um, that that kind of veers on the edge of parody yeah uh, do you do you think that this movie is a parody intentionally or do you think that it's an earnest attempt at being just like an action sci-fi uh, I mean I, th- I think certainly I, I think that there there is there is uh, it, it's 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 got a healthy dose of satire to mm-hmm. it is what I would say. Like I think it doesn't necessarily veer too grossly into parody land, mm-hmm. but I think it yeah I think the the amount of <laughs> the amount of pressing of tongue into cheek is 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 quite substantial. Um, but, um, some yeah. people uh, describe one of the ways that this movie is described is as a dark farce. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, because then it's like it has the satirical elements, but it's not necessarily played for laughs all the time. Yeah. You know? There is a lot of farcical elements in it, but it's played for like that horror element. Of yeah, it. yeah, definitely. All right, here comes question number four. You're doing great. Yeah. And here we go to, you know, a little bit of harder questions here. Hopefully, I don't know. You, oh, might, I, you might ace this quiz, but we'll, we'll see. What? I'm not jinxing you. Sorry. Please don't. Sorry. Please don't. <laughs> I don't need any help. Thank you. Let's, okay. let's see if you will die or you will live. Yeah. Question number four. Uh, Nada says that the aliens ain't from which American city? <laughs> they ain't from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. They're ain't from Cleveland. <laughs> it's um, one of my favorite lines in the movie. I-, I was trying to remember which city this movie takes place in. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all the... Uh, in fact, it's like film predominantly in the downtown Los Angeles area. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the shots that are at Holly's house. It's really funny because John Carpenter in the, in the commentary, he talks about how um, when when you see like the shots of the police coming down the street to Holly's house after she, she calls it in, uh, that's actually like the street where he lives in real, or he lived in that at the time in real life. Mm-hmm. So they shot it in his neighborhood. Nice. Um, all right. Question number five. Yeah. 
And this is the hardest question of the quiz. It only is mentioned once. It's a kind of a blink and you miss it kind of moment here. Uh, but it, when they're in the underground alien base, there's a teleporter. Uh, where does the teleporter fly its passengers? What is the destination? I know they said that people can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, but... But the voice says, now departing for blank. Oh, dag noobit. Um... mm, Okay, I'm gonna... I honestly don't remember. Uh, I'm going to say that it's going to Mars. Mars is not the correct answer. You have to think further away. It's going to Andromeda. Andromeda. Yeah. Okay. Which I'm not clear if they're talking about the galaxy or another place called Andromeda, but Andromeda is the name of a galaxy, which is the closest neighbor to the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, it must it must be that. Yeah. So, so the aliens uh, yeah, are from I can't, the Andromeda. Yeah I, can't, yeah, I can't think of like a planet that was named that. It wouldn't be like Alpha Centauri or something. So. Right. Well, I'm not saying in real life. I just mean like maybe in the world. Maybe in the world of the film, maybe John Carpenter was like, oh, this planet is called Andromeda. But eh, it makes sense if it's the, the galaxy, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so you missed one, but you still did great. I think that, uh, you know, you still qualified yeah. to get the bragging rights. Uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. Maybe the bonus. Here comes the bonus, the bonus question. It. Yeah. Now, this is a really interesting bonus question, okay? Um, because this movie obviously is, like a lot of John Carpenter films, they just inspire a bunch of different filmmakers and artists of, of all walks of life. You know, okay. there, there's a lot of legacy involved with his work. Uh, and this is about a particular artist who was inspired by this movie. So the question is, the bonus question is, which street artist's Obey campaign was inspired by They Live? Ooh. Mm. This campaign features Andre the Giant very prominently and then the words Obey. Who, what is the name of the street artist? Oh. Oh. Well, there's okay, I I don't know if it is this person. It's literally the only street artist <laughs> whose whose name I know. So, uh, I'm going to shoot my shot and say it's Banksy. It is not Banksy. All right. Well, well. Banksy is probably the most predominant street artist out there. Yeah. This guy is the second most predominant. Okay. His name is Shepard Ferry. Shepard Ferry. Okay, a deeper cut. Yeah, Shepard Ferry. Uh, And uh, Ferry says that the movie has a very strong message about the power of commercialism and the way that people are manipulated by advertising. So his uh, Andre the Giant Obey campaign is a is a play on that. Yeah, um, and definitely. like all of his, all of, whenever you see his work or you used to see his works, it would all he would always take over like those um, an, an abandoned billboard or a billboard that didn't have anything on it, and he would just plaster Obey on it and Andre the Giant. It looked very much like like the Obey in this movie. Yeah, wasn't there like also an Obey clothing line at some point in the past? I feel like I remember seeing Obey on shirts at one point, and and then like after seeing the movie for the first time, being like, 
Well, I don't know. I think that kind of misses the point entirely <laughs> if you're plastering it on a t-shirt. Commercialism. So, um, yeah, it was probably at like fucking Urban Outfitters or some or some high cost skate. I, I think I think I saw I think I saw like Obey shirts in like a skateboard shop at one point or something like that. So maybe a little counterculture, but not not right. much. I mean, the counterculture has kind of like sold out in a way, you yeah, might man. say. And that's like the kind of like the the tragedy of like even like a, a movie, you know, this a movie's designed to make money. Yeah. And so like the the, the movie the message I mean, like goes against even, Oh, sorry, yeah. The movie goes against its own message in a way that even John Carpenter calls out because at the end of the movie, there's the line that the alien gives about like there's too much sex and violence on TV uh, and the work of George Romero and John Carpenter has gone too far. He specifically says that. (laughs) Yeah. So he's like, you know, John Carpenter even admits that. And when he was trying to pitch this movie, one of the, the film executives told him, you know what? What do you have against? What's so wrong with selling out? People sell out every day. Like that's how we make our living. And and he liked that line so much that he actually put it in the movie. That actually is a line in the movie. The yeah. Movie where people sell out every day. Yeah. And and it's kind of you know it's interesting like how the the film is a critique of specifically Reaganomics. Yeah. This movie was made in the eighties, and so was Society. I think that they both kind of like you know their their intended target is the 80s Reagan revolution. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I, and I mean, I think, yeah, America under the Reagan administration, yeah, there was there was a definite, like, societal hostility towards... Right. Towards the towards the impoverished and, yeah. and 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 a real and and also just like a, a real a real kicking out from the middle class yeah. of just by trickle like, down economics yeah yeah just like stripping away mm-hmm. like societal protections and stuff like that and uh yeah uh, yeah tax breaks for the rich exactly bailing out industry yeah that's the thing is that and 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 that's yeah and i think that's kind of you know, it's it's fitting. You know, in you know within our current administration, not to get too deep into the politics right. side, but like you know, yeah, like we see it, a lot of that. But today. yeah, there's there's definitely yeah when when there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of discussion of like similarities between like America under the Reagan administration and under the Trump administration. So yeah, I think um, yeah you see you see a lot of that, and so yeah, films like this definitely are speaking to that very just like hyper concentration of wealth mm-hmm. upward uh, at the expense of everyone else yeah and in fact like uh, they refer in the movie they they say that the aliens are free enterprisers (laughs) exactly yeah that's the thing is is yeah i i forgot that detail because i i always i always thought that like the aliens were I, I yeah I, I forgot that the movie goes to the lengths of saying that the aliens yeah. themselves are essentially hyper capitalists right. as yeah. well and, and and that and that it's not necessarily just that you know they're conquering the earth it's like oh no like earth is a development project right for we're them. a third world country <laughs> um exactly humans yeah. are a natural resource that they're exploiting yeah yeah so I I I did yeah I did forget how they. So, so I guess in a way that that element of it does carry on through from beginning to end. That even even as we're going deeper and deeper behind the scenes of like actually seeing the levers of power behind everything, it's like, oh yeah, it's all still economical at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Carpenter says he says I began watching TV. I quickly realized that everything we see is designed to sell us something. It's all about wanting us to buy something. The only thing they want to do is take our money. 
So that's how Warden, he came up with the idea of the thought of the sunglasses as being a tool to see the truth, which is seen in black and white as if the aliens have colorized us. And he went on to he went on to say like that means that Ted Turner is really a monster from outer space, and Ted Turner was a much more prominent figure in media back then. I guess the the equivalent would be like a like a Robert Murdoch and and Fox News today. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, like the kind of the 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 executive all the way at the top of a massive media conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. What do you think about the concept of the the sunglasses in the movie? Do you think that that works pretty well? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it is interesting, kind of, uh, yeah, that it's, it, it is that, the idea that it, it kind of obscures the yeah. the shiny light a little bit in order for you to be able to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think uh, it's it's interesting, um, the, the kind of recurring uh, visual cue of um, the painful reaction right. to seeing the truth, um, which which they they tease out as early as like the first time that uh, the the uh, the resistance is able to like break through the signal on the TV set so right. they can broadcast their message, and so everybody who's watching the TV is like, oh, we have a, I'm getting a headache mm-hmm. from this because like. You know the the distracting signal yeah. that is normally working. You know keeps everybody docile and comfortable, right. and uh, and and sort of seeing things clearly is is this kind of thing that later when they talk about the sunglasses, it's like it's you know you get a high from it, but also like it's it is very painful. Yeah, it is and, painful. Uh, and 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 looking at it too long can kind of can 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 grate at you. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that that, that stuck out to me and, and is because, because I think to, to acknowledge the truth of just how powerless we all are Mm -hmm. in the face of, of the powers that be. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it is a kind of a painful thing to, to sort of grapple with, you know, kind of just how, (laughs) How at the mercy of the uber wealthy we kind of are. I think humans in general, it's part of our DNA to want to seek out comfort. Everything that we do is is in a quest to make life more comfortable. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, when we're faced with like the hard truths of society about, you know, well, this, this is we have to do X, Y and Z in order to fix these problems. A, a lot of times we're like, hey, we're we think we're kind of comfortable where we are, yeah. you know, we, we don't want to make the sacrifices. Yeah. We don't want to give up a little bit more of our paychecks just to ensure that everyone gets the same share, you know, yeah. like we, we would rather be comfortable in our current situation and let others that, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. If they're not our yeah. problem, then what, why does it matter to us? Yeah, know? very much so. Yeah. All right, let's go into the first of the GSV segments. This one's called Shots, 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 Shots. As a horror action movie, horror sci-fi action movie, there is a lot of gratuitous violence in this film. Yes, there is. And and actually, it's interesting that in a way, 
I don't know, like almost an equal share of the violence seems to be dealt out by our hero. Yeah. As opposed to the monsters. Um, it's pretty much all gun violence and, 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 much, a, little, yeah. and a little bit of beatings here and there mm-hmm. too, but mainly, mainly shootouts and, and grenades. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, uh, John Nada, he, <laughs> He, he he racks himself. He rambos up. it up, as you say. Yeah, he re- yeah he rambos. He goes up. like like this scenes today. Yeah, yeah, he rambos the fuck up like really fucking quickly. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, also like, I mean, I I loved like when he goes into the store and is immediately just like pointing out one of the women who's actually yeah. an alien and is just like. You know, talking about how, how ugly, ugly she, she is. is, and it's just like, oh my god, dude! Like, like first of all, you like, I get that, like, you're going through a difficult time <laughs> seeing the world as it really is, but like, cool your kind, horses, yeah, yeah, cool your jets a little bit. Um, and then yeah, when the cops kind of go up on him, he has no problem killing them, right? And everybody else in the bank who looks like a fucking alien. Um, and that's where he utters his immortal line. Oh, <laughs> I've oh. come here to chew. I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. I love that line. Yeah. I love that line. That line is used in, in of course the Duke Nukem 3d video game. And yeah. it's a very famous line from this movie, which was actually uh, not written in the script. John Carpenter did not write that line. It was, really? yeah, it just, was just Roddy came up with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the, in the scene. It. Amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Even better. Even better. <laughs> I mean, I think like they're, when you think of like wrestlers, like they're known for those catchphrases. They're very good at coming up with those catchphrases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I Because I think it's like, it was so clear in that moment that like his character was like backed into a corner. And, right. And, and so like all of a sudden he finds himself in a bank and he's holding a fucking shotgun. Mm-hmm. And so I love that he's just like, well, I guess I'm gonna lean into like being a bank robber now. Yeah. So he just immediately spits out that that fucking badass line. Now there's so many deaths to go around that I'm not even gonna ask you how many deaths you think are the movie. I'm gonna ask you specifically how many people does Nada kill? Hmm. Oh, I think uh, I can probably only do like a range. Yeah, I'm, you can give me a, I'm, a generalization. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna say like. Between twenty and thirty, and 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 this is a well. I think he never kills a human. I think he only kills. I think he only. Ah. Right. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. 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 So 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 he never kills a human. I think I think pretty much all of the casualties at John Nada's hands are are aliens. So, but in fact. I, Keith David's character Frank has a line. He says, "How many people did you kill?" And uh, and John Nada says, "They weren't people." Exactly. Yeah. So the question is a trick question. There you go. <laughs> okay. So so you had to. Yeah. Okay. So fine. how many? So how many people does he kill? So he actually kills no people. He does kill one person. Who does he kill? Holly. Oh. Holly is the only person that John Nada actually kills. It's a double trick question. Yeah. <laughs> a double trick question. God damn it. Just the one. Just the one. Yeah. Good yeah. lord. Everyone else is freaking alien. Yeah. 
<laughs> Everyone else is a freaking alien. Yeah, because even in terms even, of the alien body count, it, it probably is the twenty. It is pretty range, high. Right? Yeah, like. But whenever he, there's a human at the other side, he never he never shoots him down. He he yeah. lets the the cop who's a human run away. I actually thought that that would be like I don't know if there is a video game that's like this, but this would be a pretty cool video game, right? Like if, yeah. imagine imagine having this conceit where. When you wear the glasses, you can see who the aliens are. Everyone's shooting at you because, like they say, like they're human cops too, and and they're involved. But they don't know that they're part of the conspiracy. Yeah. So everyone's shooting at you, but you're only supposed to kill aliens. So when you have the sunglasses on, you can see the aliens. But sometimes you get knocked down or whatever, the sunglasses fall off, and you can't see who is who. So then you have to be really careful, like not to shoot the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely um, video games that I think do kind of work with uh, with a kind of an alternate view um system that that you kind of have to use to like identify the right targets to kill Mm -hmm. um what it kind of what it kind of brings to my mind immediately it doesn't really have like an alternate view thing but is like the area 51 um like shooter arcade Mm -hmm. game Mm -hmm. just mainly more because it's like you you know you have to pick out your targets carefully because you know you'll occasionally have like a a regular human walk across the screen and and the aliens kind of look a little humanoid so they're like all roughly the same size size and you know they're all popping up out of everywhere so you just have to like be very careful with how you're lining up your shots there was this old uh, old school um, arcade game i forget the name of it um but it was like it had like these weird like 3d-ish type graphics and it, it's definitely like one where you it's a shoot 'em up game uh and you can play two player and there were terrorists and hostages and you were supposed to shoot the terrorists and not the hostages. But the thing about the game was that they, that both the terrorists and the hostages pretty much looked the same. Yeah. So it was really easy to shoot the hostages, except like the terrorists like actually like pop up and shoot back and the hostages are just like screaming and running. Yeah. But they look like when they pop up that initial split second, when you have to make the decision whether to shoot or not, they look like exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah. I did so. not do too well at those arcade games for the most part. <laughs> All right. So the other big piece of, of famous gratuitous violence in this film is the alley brawl between uh, John Nada and Frank. Yes. Uh, yes. And it's it's very famous. It's, it's it's considered one of the greatest fight scenes of all film done. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it. I think um, it, it's it's one of those great fights where. Um, where it goes on for a very long time nearly and, 6 minutes and yeah and and you can and you can see how much more tired both of them get as the fight goes on that mm-hmm. like you know they're they're moving more slowly there are more lulls like between them where they kind of have to like catch their breath and get their strength back up before they can then exchange a few more blows and it's very realistic in that way i feel yeah. like a, a real life fight would kind of play out that exactly. way exactly yeah no yeah yeah it wouldn't it, it you know yeah normally like it might start fast but like yeah, and you know, any movie where they're still moving just as quickly and deftly is most likely not actually going to be as realistic as that. And one, especially because they're they're both pretty big guys, right, and, yeah. and obviously Roddy's got like his wrestling chops. Yeah. So you know, he there's goes, a lot of wrestling moves. In yeah, that he fight. does a lot of body slams <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. So um, so so those moves definitely do take more energy too than like mm-hmm. you know just quick. Just quick right. jabs and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but it's a great fight. Um, so, like, uh, I, I a, a while ago, I saw um, uh, 
a part of the movie Pervert's Guide to Cinema uh-huh. by uh, by the philosopher uh, Slavoj Zizek, I think. Uh-huh. Zizek. I, Zizek, yeah. And um and he and and he talks about and he talks about that fight scene and and specifically um talks quite a bit about um you know the fact that the you know the violence of the scene um is is specifically about the idea that um you know seeing that that uh that that uh being made to see the truth about the world around you um is that 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 you know Frank's character is you know is fighting back violently because right. of the fact that he's so he so adamantly does not want to actually face the truth about right. the world around him. Um, or, and again, I'm very, very grossly paraphrasing the detail he goes into about the scene. But um, so I, I remember seeing that thing long before I even actually saw the movie. I think I think metaphorically, that's pretty spot on. That that is what the fight is about. It's like yeah. fighting that. Yeah, you're, you're you don't want your eyes to be opened. Yeah, uh, and and that and that it, it takes it, it it both both that you know yeah people will be will be so incredibly resistant to to having their eyes opened and that it takes a certain amount of overwhelming mm-hmm. force to get people to to confront right. the truth. And it, it is a great fight scene, and uh, it's one of those things that. The more that it goes on, like it, it develops almost like this meta humoristic quality to it. Yeah. Like it becomes very, it's it's a hilarious scene by the end of it. Um, yeah. Even though there's really not nothing in it that's played slapsticky, but just like the lengths that they that it goes on, and yeah. then the, the different moves that they that they they do on each other, and I feel like the the key to it to the humor in the scene um, is is that. For one of them, the stakes are very low, but for the other, the stakes are very high. Yeah. Because John Nada, he knows the truth, and he's like, he wants his friend to know the truth. Yeah. But as far as Frank is concerned, this is just a crazy guy who wants him to put on a pair of glasses, you know? He doesn't know what's on the other end of it, you know, what's on the other side. Yeah. So, like, that, that juxtaposition of, like, yeah, he's fighting against this with all of his might. They're both fighting with all their might, but they both have, like, these completely different <laughs> ideas of what the fight is about. Yeah. And that, yeah, that really helps with the humor behind it. Yeah. Now, having said that, I don't think that the fight is a comical aspect of the movie. I do think that it's an earnest fight. I do think that... Um, I, I kind of yeah I, no I mean they they're both in really fucking bad shape right. by the end of it like it's 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 a clearly brutal fight yeah uh, it just it it but but it also just like kind of the scale on which right. it evolves and yeah. especially like that that it, it gets so rough and then you have Roddy saying put on the glasses put on the glasses between right. them it's just like so so there is definitely. There is definitely a contrast there mm-hmm. between just like him saying put on the glasses and then just like how viciously they end up really going at each other. Now the story um, behind the fight sequence is it was originally only supposed to last for 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and from 20 seconds it evolved to nearly 6 minutes. Dear which lord. Is- <laughs> Hopefully not improvised. <laughs> so it was it was designed and rehearsed and choreographed in the backyard of director John Carpenter's production office. Okay. Um, Piper and David 
you know, they were they were they were practicing the 20 second fight initially and then they decided to fight it out for real. Like they're like, hey, let's just, you know, have a take where we just like fight it out for real, see what we come up with. So they basically fought it out for real, except that they uh, held back. Like they did all like the punching, the jabbing, the kicking, everything, but they didn't do it full force. It basically did like what wrestlers do when they practice, you know, yeah. and it they just kept going and and they only faked the hits and they rehearsed it for three weeks. And the more that they rehearsed it, the longer it got, the more complicated it got. It was like John Carpenter initially was like, well, we're just going to do this for fun and then scale it back when we actually film. But he had so much fun watching them develop this fight that he decided to keep the whole thing intact. And I think that the movie, the, the scene, it only exists because John Carpenter loved it. And you can actually kind of tell that from the scene. That's like he's allowing this to keep going because he's having a lot of fun shooting this. Yeah. And that translates to us having a lot of fun watching the scene play out. Yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. Now, the, there's a legacy in the in the, the scene. Uh, Darren Aronofsky was inspired by the scene, um, and one of the films that he made was The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, and a lot of the fighting techniques used in that and the way that he shot it was inspired by this fight scene. That's cool. Uh, now, Aronofsky definitely saw the, the scene as a parody of wrestling match fights yeah. uh, from like in WWF or at the time or WWE today. Um, I don't see it that way. I don't think it's a parody. I think that it exists in, in the world of the film. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that, that, that I think, yeah, the, the scene. Yeah. I don't think is necessarily meant to parody wrestling scenes. I do think that there's probably a little bit of, there's probably like, I think there is, I, I think that, that having, having, that many body slams mm-hmm. in the fight, I think, is would definitely be like a bit of a wink to the camera. I think. Right. I think there's 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 maybe like a bit of like self awareness there. Yeah. In terms like of I said, that. it's like, like a it's a meta it's yeah, a yeah meta so, fight. <laughs> yeah. But but certainly, I don't think that the fight. I don't think that the idea behind the fight is simply just to parody wrestling. I think it is more just that like it. You know they. It's 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 an opportunity to be like, hey, we we got we got Roddy Piper in yeah. our movie, right? Let's, How let's fucking put a, cool let's is put that? a six minute fight into this movie. Why the fuck not? Yeah, we got we got Roddy Piper, so yeah, we're gonna do a six minute one on one fight with uh, a lot of body slams. The other place where um, our listeners probably would recognize this fight from is from the show South Park, um, where there's the the cripple fight between the handicapped kids Jimmy and Timmy when they resolve their differences. In that case, it's uh, Timmy wanting Jimmy to put on a hat. And, okay. and they basically parody uh, this fight scene for scene, pretty oh, much. Oh, man. <laughs> I think I missed that one. I, I, I am not as caught up on my South Park as I should be. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, one thing I did want to mention, though, too, since we're also talking about um, uh, Keith David and Roddy Piper, is uh-huh. that I, I definitely think that this movie has 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 like a, a like a, a few a few tasteful drops of 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 like nice homoeroticism between the two yeah, of a little them bit. um that I, 
I especially noticed it like the first time Roddy is like on the construction site and he's like working out shirtless and you can definitely see Keith David like checking him out a little <laughs> bit um, during that scene. And they get a um, hotel room together. And and, well, and and yeah, I was going to say, and then the fact that right after the fight, they get the hotel room <laughs> and Roddy Piper turns to him and says, ain't love grand. And I was like, you guys, you guys. He's so cute together. Hey, so. 80s action movies, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's quite a few shirtless scenes with Roddy Piper, so, uh, you know. All right, speaking of shirtless scenes, let's go into our next segment, which is called Boob Tube. And, yeah, we do get to see quite quite a lot of Roddy Piper's boobs. That's, we that's do. for sure. <laughs> um, a lot of chesticles. Those, those very manly man boobs. Yeah. Sculpted. Sculpted, and there is one sculpted. pair of female breasts in the movie at the very end. Yeah, there's like that, no sex or female nudity until that very last well, that was, shot. Well, that was the thing, uh, and uh, just because as a reminder, we watched the movie on Stars, and so Stars uh, gives you like a little rating synopsis right. right before the movie starts. And I saw the little nudity tag, and so I when I saw that, I had thought, oh wait, I, I remember, um, you know. That Roddy does, you know, meet up with, um, he, he does take uh, Helen? Holly. Holly. Mm-hmm. He takes Holly hostage. And I was like, oh, wait, do, do the two of them sleep together in the movie? Was that what was going on? Uh, so, so yeah, when I saw that they didn't end up sleeping together yeah. in their scenes, I was like, oh, wait, so where, where is the nudity? Where is the nudity? And then You're like, behold, I want my nudity, damn it. Well, and, and lo and behold, they it's just... Th- <laughs> It's just the very end of the movie. And yeah. the movie, the movie like literally just ends on a like, on a gag. Right. Like on a gag shot. Like, it's kind of brilliant, actually. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Well, it's just, yeah. <laughs> because, it, because it happens right after the, the guy on the TV says, there's too much sex and violence on TV. And damn George Romero and John Carpenter. And then we cut to breasts. And then the alien that she's having sex with says, what's the matter? What's the matter, honey? Or something like that. Yeah. And then we cut to credits. It's, yeah. It's like a fucking meta joke. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. Like a drug carpet is just like, yeah, yeah. Check this out. Assholes. A little bit. Yeah. That's a thing. Like uh, there was some real gumption to that. Um, yeah. Which I, which I kind of appreciated. I mean, Car- just- Carpenter loves his downer endings uh, and he's really good at them. And this one is, I think a killer downer ending. We have our hero dying. Everyone knows the truth. There's no real resolution. We just ended like that. Yeah, well, that's a thing. And and I think, you know, in a way, you know, considering that... I'm, I'm assuming the movie wasn't that expensive to make, no, right? Like, no, it was, it was, it was a low pretty, budget. Yeah, it was a pretty low budget movie. So, like, yeah, to, to, to actually follow through on, like, the truth getting out and then trying to convey what actually happens to society on right. the whole afterwards. Like, that would be a much bigger project mm-hmm. and probably a much bigger budget film. Um, so, uh, so yeah, certainly I think it, to have it be, to have it end with Roddy's death and then with, um, and then just with showing a few shots of everybody seeing what the truth is, that definitely makes sense. Um, I just kind of, I just really do love that it ends just like with that, with that shot of what, and and, and that's it. That's all you get. Um, but uh, but yeah. 
Okay, what's the messaging there? You think? You think like similar to how society it was like the rich fucking the poor. I wonder if that also is like you know when he when when he asks her uh, what's the ma- what's the matter, baby, or something. You know, it's almost like you know she realizes, oh shit, like I am being literally screwed by these monsters. <laughs> maybe I mean maybe that is maybe that is the idea behind it. Right? Um, yeah, perhaps perhaps I was just a little too distracted by the breasts to look any deeper at it. But um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's probably a, a fair enough a fair enough message to take away from mm-hmm. it of 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 the abrupt realization that you're getting fucked. Yeah. Um, so uh, quite a statement. Yeah, which is actually kind of a brilliant statement. Yeah. Now that you put it that way. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually okay with that. I no, think I'm, I think I, I'm, I'm going to keep that. Gonna, I, I love it. I love the ending. It is it is so yeah. like goofy, but it works for this movie so well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and 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 yeah, like yeah, absolutely. Tongue firmly planted. Right. Like, so it, it's not really gratuitous because I feel like it's it's just it 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 seems like it is gratuitous because you're like you're like wait a minute, why are their breasts all of a sudden? But then you, when you realize that there's like maybe an alternative message to or ulterior message to it, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, then well that obviously makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, let's talk about Holly. Actually, she is the only female character of note in the movie. Yeah, um, and she's played by Meg Foster. Uh, first of all, we can talk about her as a quality of, of her character in the film. But first of all, I just want to ask you this general question: Okay, why does John Nada keep trusting this person? She does nothing but betray him. <laughs> the whole yeah, movie. pretty much. I mean, to be fair, he does hold her at gunpoint, right? So, like, I think you know, if if you're holding someone at gunpoint and forcing them to take you back to your home and and all that stuff, then you can't really hold it against them when they throw you out a window yeah. and call the cops on you, right? Um, true, but, true. Um, and when also, I I I found myself a little bit confused when they have the reveal of her being at the resistance meeting because they when they show her on the phone after she throws John Nada mm-hmm. out the window it's never quite clear who she's talking to on the phone so i assumed she was calling the police at first right. but then when i saw her at the resistance meeting i thought oh wait no maybe she was just on the phone with one of the people at the resistance i i actually forgot about the yeah. the double cross at the end of the movie um and so i think it's intentionally murky um there, there's a part of me that also kind of w- thinks that i mean obviously she's there um i i think as a as a spy She's the one. I feel like she's the one who gives the look, gives out the location of the secret meeting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, seeing her, yeah, seeing her, then double cross them at the end. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. But that when she, she was, sh- she was in on it. One also because I think like. It was interesting that, like, at the resistance meeting, they were talking about, like, you know, oh, such and such station was cleared. That she says this. Yeah, she, she says it there. But really, it's not cleared, because that's where the signal's coming out. Well, exactly, yeah. Or uh, Well, it's interesting, because we know we know that it's Channel 54, but then mm-hmm. they mentioned the station KDPC or whatever. Right. So, so yeah, there, it wasn't quite clear whether that station was where Channel 54 broadcasts out of or not. Right. But, um, so yeah, I think that there is a little bit of a lack of clarity there. Um, so yeah, I think he, 
Yeah, I think that the betrayals that she throws his way, I think it's like, yeah, she throws him out a window. I think he couldn't hold that against her for, you know, having kidnapped her. Right. Um, but then, uh, but then, yeah, she, yeah. She, but yeah, but, but why, why is he like, oh, where's Holly? You know? Well, I think, I think, you know, he knows, he, he knows that she works at the TV station. So I think she's literally just the one person that he knows can be trusted because, uh, obviously he knows everybody else either is an alien or has likely been bought off by an alien. Mm-hmm. So when she shows up at the resistance meeting, um, something that I kind of picked up this time around is she's where she's holding the glasses that, that he left behind in her apartment yeah. when, when she throws him out the window. And so it kind of makes it seem now that line of, of dialogue that she has where she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Um, the first few times I saw it, it was like, wait a minute, she didn't know that that he was in this society because he basically told her that at the at her house. But then now this time around, I'm like, wait a minute. Actually, she's saying she didn't know because when she, he left, she put on the glasses and then saw the world and then came into the resistance herself. Yeah, yeah, that was another thing that came to my mind mm-hmm. too, that, that maybe that she was apologizing to him that she didn't realize he was seeing the truth right. and that and that she had to see it for herself right. as well. Um, I would say that in general, there's not a lot of clarity there. Um, yeah, there isn't. Be, I think especially because her performance throughout the film is kind of as this sort of like femme fatale type a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, like even when he holds her hostage, she seems like pretty cool throughout yeah. the whole thing. She, she is. never, She never really seems like... She, it never really reads that she seems that threatened by mm-hmm. him through any of those things. Like she's definitely compliant and she never like, you know, outright, you know, resists any of his demands or anything. But, um, but yeah, she seems to be pretty icy throughout the whole thing and like, like icy and in control, like throughout the whole thing. So um, I think that at first I, I wasn't sure if that was just a matter of, you know, they maybe didn't, weren't able to cast, you know, as 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 detail oriented an actor as I would have liked, right? Or whether that really was a character thing, um, but yeah, it, there there didn't seem to be that much dimension to her character throughout the film. Mm-hmm. It seemed like she just kind of played to this sort of smoldering femme fatale type and didn't really. And so it, yeah, I think that that kind of does contribute to a bit of a lack of clarity around those, those character beats. Going back to the, uh, the Western tropes that John Carpenter seems to favor as a filmmaker. um, One of the things that he puts a lot in his movies are these uh, Hawk, they're called Hawksian women uh, because Howard Hawks, who directed a bunch of um, westerns, including Rio Bravo, hmm. uh, he put women in this movie that behaved a certain way. They they always had these same type of qualities. They were always very stoic, and they were always very much, like you said, in control and cool, and they, they didn't let themselves get bossed around by men. Uh, they were kind of seen uh, from, from a 
I guess like feminist criticism perspective today, like they're kind of seen as proto feminist characters hmm. because they were made in a time where feminism wasn't what we know it is today. You know, they were made like in the forties and fifties. So yeah. they were like proto feminist. Well, yeah. Th- like that they, they weren't necessarily damsels in distress right. that they kind of, you know, they, they sort of had a little more agency exactly. and, 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 and were self assured mm-hmm. and, and able to handle themselves. So, so like, John yeah. Carpenter uses that trope a lot in his movies. Yeah. Um, especially the the big one that I can think of right now is Assault on Precinct 13 has a very uh, Hoxian woman character in it who is far better developed than than Holly is. But I do feel like Holly falls in that tradition. The only thing, like you said, he pointed out, and we can start talking about how she functions as a character now, is that she's not very well developed, though. Well, that's a thing, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, there's very, yeah, there's very little understanding of, like, backstory or her motivations right. and again part of it is that it it might be that that it gets obscured so that we can't read too much into when her double cross of them finally right turns again um but yeah 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 there's just yeah there wasn't a lot of fleshing out done in this particular case but so, you uh, know a, a pretty pretty underbaked the main relationship though is between frank and and nada yeah um so do you feel like not having uh, a better developed female character hurts the movie, or are you okay with it being like more more about the the bromance, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think the dynamic between uh, Nada and Frank is definitely pretty strong, and and that is definitely the focus of the movie. Um, I think I think the movie probably would have benefited a little more from just like a little more specificity with Holly's right. character. Um, I mean, she's. I mean, a big part of it is that she just, she's, she, she plays, I think she plays too big a role in the film for how little she's actually in it. Right. And the end of how little consequence otherwise she kind of seems to have. She she affects the outcome of the movie. Yeah, like that's a thing. Like she, yeah, she has a pretty significant effect on the trajectory of the film and yet doesn't really seem to be that present in it. So I think that, that, so yeah, I think to have her be so underbaked and underdeveloped kind of, you know, does, does interfere a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I guess like her big, her biggest contribution, um, is that she kills our boy, Frank, yeah, I don't know if you can call it a contribution, but or, or biggest nah. double cross. Well, yeah, I mean, cer- yeah, certainly the biggest, certainly the biggest, uh, yeah, certainly the biggest impact. Um, yeah. Do you? Yeah, that was disappointing. I, I for- know. I forgot that. I forgot that uh, Frank gets killed. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that that was because uh, because Keith David's character is so good, and, and that's another thing that I really love about John Carpenter's work is that he. His movies all seem to have like this very good mix of, you know, people from different backgrounds. He's very a very equitable type of director. He he never shied away from giving minorities uh, you know, bigger speaking roles and more depth in the characters and yeah. have a lot of fun in their movies. Uh, and there are some movies where, you know, you can make the argument like Big Trouble in Little China, you can make the argument that some of those characters are reductive and that's fine. Yeah. But at least but at least, you know, he let he has a movie where like 
over half the cast is actually Asian American, you know, yeah. um, for better or for worse. Um, so in, in a type of movie like this, where Keith David is such a well-developed character and has this great chemistry, do you think that it, that the way he goes out is, is satisfying? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Again, I think just because of how underdeveloped Holly is like the betrayal is less of a gut punch shock and it's more right. of a, Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Like that's like, that's the thing. It kind of like left me a little cold. And, yeah. and especially that like, um, especially that he, he kind of sort of dies off screen in a way. He does, like, yeah. like, like, you know, you see, you see the gun go to his head, but then it cuts away at the last second. And then you don't really get, you don't get much more, follow up or acknowledgement of right. like his character's kind of tragic end than just oh well Holly's here and he's not mm-hmm. um so yeah this is, yeah it, it it wasn't quite as satisfying as all of that um again i think you know part of that is just that like by this point in the film like you know it's 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 chopping along at a at a pretty fast pace and so i i would understand that you know probably john carpenter wanted to just like he he just wanted to like push through to the end right. and kind of get back to that get us to that final resolution so he didn't necessarily want to like eat up too much time with oh no or you yeah. know all that stuff but um but yeah yeah i felt i found yeah i, I, I felt a little cold after, i think he deserved after, I, I agree i think he deserved a little bit of a last hurrah of yeah. some sort yeah, yeah, just or even just like a more of a even just more of more of an acknowledgement of, you know, what a great character. Yeah, just a little more set right. off, a little more set off. Cuz cuz we we don't even get a chance for John Nada to really react to his death even. Yeah, exactly. So. But again, that's all part of like the 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 downer ending, I guess. Like it's just like a series of events where you're like, "Oh, okay, you're kind of yeah. you're kind of left with the movie's like bummed out." And then you have a goofy joke, and then that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go. Enough. Let's go into our next segment. This one's called uh, "That's, that's problematic. problematic." We yeah. talked a little bit just now with the whole Keith David character thing, but I really want to focus on one particular aspect of the movie. Okay, um, and that's how the themes have been interpreted by different groups. Okay, because as we mentioned at the top. Uh, this film is a reaction to Reaganomics. Yeah. That's how John Carpenter frames it in his mind. That's what he was exploring. But uh, this movie has very publicly been taken by neo-Nazis and kind of contorted to have this message of, oh, this is about the Jewish people who control society and control media really? and, and how they see like the aliens are, um, there's, they're the Jews controlling the world. That's how they see it. Oh, and like, and like the whole through the media thing. Right. Oh no, really? Yeah. Which actually forced John Carpenter to respond on Twitter in 2017. Uh, he says, I'm going to read it. It says they quote, he quote, I, and I quote, they live is about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism. It has nothing to do with Jewish control of the world, which is a slander and a lie. But uh, but for some reason, the neo-Nazis still 
champion this that view of this film. Is there nothing? Is there nothing the neo Nazis <laughs> won't fucking ruin? Like, Jesus Christ! But but what do you think of 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 that interpretation of the movie? Is there? No, obviously, I, I guess from your reaction, you don't see how that message could be taken from the film. I mean, yeah, I mean, it it, it did not occur to me during either my because first you're not a racist of piece it. of shit. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's nice to be. I guess that's a nice reminder that maybe I'm not a racist piece of shit. So thank right, you, right? Thank you for reminding me of that. Um, but. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, certainly that that reading of it never occurred to me in either my first watching of it or in this watch of it. Um, I mean, obviously, I know that 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 this idea of the grand Jewish conspiracy of of, you know, manipulating us through the media like that's that's something that I've definitely, you know, heard about mm-hmm. Um but like you know yeah but it's just it's such utter nonsense right. that like you know i you know it it is it is just yeah it is just like a a vile the deep uh, state yeah exactly <laughs> um so so yeah no i mean that's there is nothing that i can see in the film i mean uh, yeah again it's like i get that that idea is so pervasive so it's like if somebody says the word media and someone else perceives the word media to implicitly mean like Jewish controlled media, then like, yeah, that's, that's on that person that sees it that way. But like, yeah, that's something, yeah, that's, that's never anything that's ever occurred to me. They've got a different type of sunglasses Um, on. (laughs) Exactly. They've got a bit, yeah, (laughs) a whole different set of blinders and whatnot. Um, So, and, and yeah, there's, there's nothing and there's nothing in the film that that I can see that like you know suggests like any sort of coding like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, yeah. So you just, reject that interpretation. <laughs> uh, yeah, like yeah, like completely out of hand. There's nothing I would see like I don't know if 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 there were if there were ever like public statements that John Carpenter made that like maybe were misconstrued or like you know no. misinterpreted he's always and, been pretty clear about what the intent but of the like, movie yeah, is like yeah and that's the thing and and that's like some and and like i had heard about him talking about that the movie specifically is speaking to yuppie culture right. and stuff like that so 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 that aspect of it i already kind of had in the back of my head anyway but but yeah sir, but yeah nothing about it yeah, there was never we, anything that I saw about it that specifically speaks to yeah, that specifically and we even speaks to this idea of Jewish. We even mentioned how how obvious the messaging of the movie is, how how it, on the nose it is. There's really yeah. not a lot of subtlety in this movie. Yeah, that's the other thing too is that like yeah, it's So it's it, not ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, there's really no subtlety to the movie. I think the most subtle thing about the movie is the boobs at the end. Right. So like <laughs> like that's that's about as subtle as it gets. So um yeah, I, I yeah, I I I'm I I I can't necessarily say that I'm surprised because, you know, 
this fucking world is awful. But right. um, they live. They live indeed. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm I'm I I kind of appreciate you sharing that because now, yeah I I can't I can't believe that on the other side well, of I the can coin, believe that though on the other side of the coin yes. though though much has been made of the neo Nazis who championed this film. Um, Far, the far left has also championed the movie, uh, taken it more seriously. They praised the film. Some call it the perfect Marxist movie. <laughs> and they say that this is uh, Carpenter's depiction of unrestrained capitalism uh, as a satire of society's domination by consumerism entrenched and uh, as entrenched and powerful as any fascist super state. Now, that also, I think, goes a little bit too far because it's not... He's not really taking it that it's again it's a, it's against yuppie culture specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that reading of it that reading of it makes more sense. I don't necessarily know that it um I don't necessarily know that it necessarily goes that far, but I mean certainly um the fact that when you look at money with glasses the message that you see is this is your god. Right. Like, I think that's that's. Yeah. This is your God. Yeah, yeah, it is. This is your God. So like that, I think, does speak to a very clear capitalist critique. Right. Um. So I certainly think that that reading holds more weight. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't necessarily think it goes that far because I don't think there's ever a moment in the film where it necessarily advocates for complete dismantling of capitalism. Right. It is just more about the fact that the entire system is rigged yeah. and that there is something corrupt at the heart. There is something corrupt at the heart of the system, but it doesn't necessarily go to the lengths of saying the whole system is in and of itself mm-hmm. wrong. I think it's just, it is that, it is that, you know, the system has problems and there are forces at work that exacerbate those right. problems. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, th- that reading makes sense, mm-hmm. but, but mm-hmm. It, it, it might be a touch extreme. Now, for a movie, again, that's not very subtle, there yeah. seems to be a lot of interpretations flying around because there's yet another interpretation. I love this. I am <laughs> loving this. Well, it's like it's like this. It's like it, I, I think one of the things that uh, that Zizek says about the film is the idea that like I I don't know if I'm misremembering this, mm-hmm. but like when he talks about paraphrasing the movie or paraphrasing or whatever, but that I think he literally talks about the idea that in the film subtext literally becomes text. Right. Um yeah. so so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting that despite the fact that the film's themes are literally plastered right. on billboards yeah. for us to see. Um it's it's great that a lot of people still kind of want to read their own personal belief systems into it as well. Um, but uh, yeah, what's this? So what's in this addition next to the far left and the far right political interpretation, the film is also popular among centrists and anarchists. They believe that dependency on any government or corporate system is destructive, and it's the reliance on the self and independence from others. That is the film's ultimate message. What do you think about that reading? Um, I think 
the the anarchist message I think maybe makes a little more sense because mm-hmm. um, I mean I, certainly I think it makes more sense than Marxist interpretation mm-hmm. because I think that you know there's nothing in the film that suggests that the capitalist system needs to be replaced with right. uh, needs to be replaced with a rising of the workers right. though indeed you know the you know the the final the final action of the film is the two workers yeah. you know. You know, gunning down. That's true. Gunning the, down the the the, the, pro, the proletariat. Yeah. Exactly. They are. Li- yeah, <laughs> yeah. The proletariat yeah. are literally rising up. Yeah. Um. But that said, um, I do think that uh, there is a little more room for the the anarchist interpretation, considering the police force. You know, it's interesting because I know that in the movie, um, during the exposition dump at the resistance meeting, um, the guy makes a point of saying that I think most of the cops are humans. Right. But most of the cops we see on screen are Are aliens. aliens. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a little bit of disparity between that text and what we're actually being shown on film. Um, But I think that, you know, the fact that... You know, one of the things that I was looking for when I was watching the film is uh, I was I was looking to see, like, who the aliens actually were in the world, because I was trying to remember whether, for instance, there was an alien that was selling magazines Mm. like that was actually one of the first things that I I didn't quite remember and Mm -hmm. that I was specifically looking out for was, oh, is the magazine is an alien actually running the newsstand? Right. But no, the the person running the newsstand is still a human. Right. And so it's clear that the aliens themselves are all people who are affluent or are politicians or are police officers. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the only people that are aliens are the people with power right. or with the ruling income. class. So so it is pretty much all the ruling class. Mm-hmm. So I think by virtue of that, um, the case can be made that the film is kind of advocating for the idea that the ruling classes and the systems of control themselves have to be taken down with no mercy. I mean, it's no, it's no surprise or, or mistake, I guess, that the the people who are who are portrayed as free from society's shackles live in a shanty town. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. How, how more anarchic can you get than that? Well, that's yeah, that's the other thing too. That like, yeah, there's definitely kind of this this. Uh, yeah, there is definitely this kind of uh, yeah, this kind of uh, idea of like, oh yeah, like you know. The, these people in the shantytown, they're all the people on the margins, but also this is where the people are, are people and right. where we help each other out and and that, you know, they, they live completely free of, like, any level of support from the actual institutions of the society. So, um, so yeah, the, I think the anarchist reading has a little merit. Other than those different interpretations of, of how people could construe the messaging of this film did you see or notice anything else problematic in the movie not really i mean i think we we did talk a bit about just like how undercooked holly's character is i think that's that that was a little disappointing yeah other than i I really didn't see a lot of problematic things in the movie yeah other than that yeah i i didn't either um 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you, you know, I, I, I liked the fact that, um, you know, when we kind of get the first snippet of the, the message being broadcast by the resistance and, and he does specifically point out that, you know, there is no racial or economic justice. Right. So, I mean, I think it's like, you know, it's, it's very clear yeah. that the film is, is speaking directly to, um, the consequences of Reagan's economic policies. And, think, and um, yeah, so, and I, so yeah, yeah, I think that, like, yeah, the film actually seems pretty clear-headed about... But I, but I do feel like, even though it is very much a product of its time and it's geared towards that culture, it, it still very much makes sense today, I think. Like, a lot of the, the messages ring just as true yeah, in today's definitely. society. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, definitely, I, I you know, I think... Um, uh, j- just to kind of uh, give a, give a little bit of a podcast cross pollination. Um, uh-huh. uh, what uh, there's this uh, great podcast called The Dollop, which is um, it's basically just like these two guys who are comedians who um, they just basically each episode is just them talking about a different aspect of history. Um, it could be just like you know a, a notable person in American history or whatever. And there's a great episode. It's actually like a two or three part episode, so fucking long. Um, in in which they have Patton Oswalt as a guest oh, on nice. on the episode, and and it's just them talking all about Ronald Reagan, mm. just like from his early career as an actor all the way through his mm, presidency. Cool. And listening to that episode, there were just so many astonishing parallels between Reagan and Trump, right? Um, both in terms of just like political ideology and contempt for the poor and for minorities um and also uh in terms of uh just the the clear the clear signs of mental inability yeah. to actually do the job right. and how much and how much work there was put into <laughs> obscuring that yeah, to hide and, it. and 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 just pushing forward as if there is no problem when clearly there is a problem. Right. Um so uh so yeah I think um yeah to to see a film that was definitely you know a response to Reagan during this current administration is you know it's it's appropriate. Yeah <laughs> it rings it rings a lot of bells. Yeah yeah definitely um <laughs> yeah all right, so before we give our final thoughts, I do want to talk a little bit about the alien design in the movie, which is pretty interesting. It kind of like looks like skull like skull faces almost. Yeah. And John Carpenter didn't want to give them a high-tech look. He really wanted to give them more like a c- cadaver look, which I think works pretty well for the film. Yeah, I I think like the the first shots of seeing the aliens actually like there is something like unsettling yeah. about the image. Um you kind of get used to it after a while and and also like the the sort of the contrast of like that you're still hearing their like human voices right. talking about the funny trite things that they're talking about, but it's these weird horrendous skull things. Um definitely kind of makes for a bit of comedic dissonance, but uh, but like the first shots of just what they look like, it's actually pretty unsettling visually. Um, so, uh, yeah, they've got, yeah, it's great design for them, I think. So all of the various aliens throughout the movie, both male and female, were actually portrayed by the same person, stunt coordinator Jeff Imada. The credits do list the female ghoul who's played by Michelle Costello because there are a few scenes where there are multiple ghouls on screen, but Imada plays the ghouls who had the close-ups and the speaking parts. And the reason why he played all of them is uh, because he could actually fit into the costumes. Hmm. 
Hmm. So we played all of those aliens were the same guy playing all of them. Oh, wow. Um, Roddy Piper makes fun of, of this uh, in the commentary, if you watch this on the DVD. Um, he says that Imada didn't mind wearing pumps. He says, uh, when you have 14 black belts, you can wear pumps. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But I thought, you know. But, but also, you don't need 14 black belts to wear pumps. You don't. At all. No. No. But, but, uh, but you know, yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, I think that, that, hmm. that Jeff and Mata did a spectacular job. All those aliens yeah, were, that's crazy. were pretty great. That's actually, yeah, that's actually pretty great. Um, yeah, that they're all the same person. Yeah. Um, because they all have the same face. It's really just like what they're wearing that's different. Yeah. But they, like... But yeah, and the, and the body language. The body language. It, it, it reminded me kind of like uh, Anthony Daniels in C-3PO, kind of like the way they like moved around and stuff. And yeah. I don't know, it, it just adds to that, like you said, like that, that tongue-in-cheek quality. It's just another little humorous effect yeah. that really works really well in this movie. I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> especially, especially I like just like the big blonde hair of like some of the female Right, tools. yeah. Like, yeah, just like that big head of hair on top of that like sallowed out face. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great effect works all right so final thoughts they live what do you think is it a bad movie so so movie good movie great movie where do you fall um i think like i don't know like i think i i'd actually go as far as to say it's great i think um it uh you know it's pacing it's pacing, I think, isn't as tight as I remember it being. I think there's a bit of a chunky quality to it. It kind of, it sort of feels like, it sort of feels like there's kind of like, I don't know, five or six sort of phases that it kind of s- sort of plops you into. Right. I would say that it's a great movie. I think it, I think the sum of it is is a little bit greater than its parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know... It's, you know, it's not to say that low budget is intrinsically bad, obviously, right. but like, you know, it's it's a little low budget, it's a little campy, it's a little rough around the edges. I mean, compared to some of the low budget movies we've seen. Oh, exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> to be to be fair, to be fair. Um, but uh, I do think that uh, it's uh, it it is it is actually pretty great how it does stay on message. Um, I think, you know, earlier on in our conversation I did talk about how it feels like the message kind of thins out a bit as it progresses. But I think that actually, um, you know, the more we talked about it, the more I kind of come around to that, like, yeah, it actually really does kind of stay on its message, and it does so in a pretty fun way throughout. Right. Um, it's, yeah, I think it, 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 uh, <laughs> it's, it it's, it's a very clear, very bold reaction to, like, a very specific set of societal circumstances. And uh, so I think uh, it's it uh, it it goes about it without any subtlety, but with a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I would say it's great, um, and it's great. <laughs> How about you? How are you feeling? I think that well, first of all, I adore John Carpenter. Yeah, I think that he is like I said, he's the master of the B movie. I don't think that there's ever been a better director of B movies, of low budget independent movies. Yeah. John Carpenter, he's the god. And uh in in a long line of B movie masterpieces, 
this is one of his B-movie masterpieces. I think it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I think that it is pretty tightly paced. I do I do see what you're saying, that it the, the film does exist in different phases. Yeah. Um, that's part of the, the act structure that he's working with. Um, yeah. Whether it's like three act, five act, you know, there's definitely starting and stopping points where like the movie says, okay, we're going to go on these little journeys. Yeah. But as far as like the film itself, it's a tight 90 minutes. It goes by fairly quickly. There's a lot of fun in it. The, the quippiness, the action, the social commentary, the design, how much he can do with so little is, is spectacular. We haven't even talked about like his music, his that he wrote for this. He, yeah. he, he wrote music for a lot of his movies, and he edited a lot of the movies himself. And he really was a hands-on guy. And and the, you can tell that these movies are labors of love. And yeah, how he just pours everything into them, and there really are like he is the auteur. This is not they live. This is John Carpenter's they live. Yeah, you know, very much. So. Um, and. The way that he, we haven't even talked about the way he uses his shots, like the way he uses Steadicam and all that. It's very fluid and 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 the, just very succinct. Like the, his, his his method of filmmaking is, I I love it. I, I love John Carpenter. I this movie makes me want to watch more John Carpenter movies. Nice. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Mm. All right. Uh, and, of course, there are a lot of flaws in the movie, too. But I think, like you said, the sum is greater than this parts. Yeah. So that does it for us. Another exciting episode of GSV. We talked about They Live. We certainly did. Thank you for watching They Live with me, Ned. Thank you for having me on, Orlando. I hope you join me next time. And I hope all of you guys out there will join us again and watch another movie. And we'll then join us afterwards and we play some trivia and talk about it. Until then... Put on those glasses and watch some movies. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just you guys are always bringing the very best part.